do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents in our industry hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That's the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. I am coming to you with this week's State of the Market. You know, it is midway through August, August 19th, and this is going to be a really interesting State of the Market because I don't have a guest with me tonight. There is so much news that I have been looking at and trying to get a couple people to come on tonight, and everybody's schedule didn't work, and I thought the news is too big for me to not put it out there. But I'm putting this out there to you guys. If one of you thinks that you want to join me on one of these State of the Market podcasts, I want you to go on Instagram and message me and tell me, hey, next time you do a State of the Market, I want to be on there with you doing those State of the Markets. Now, today, I'm also going to do some screen sharing as I record this. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you may see a few of the extra things. Uh, if you also see us on Instagram, you'll see a bunch of the links and things on there. But I promise you there's going to be so much stuff in here that if you are listening to the podcast, driving in your car, if people are even driving in their car very often, I guess people are now. The, if you're just listening to it, don't worry. It's going to be a plenty good show. And I'm going to get you in and out of here in less than 30 minutes with some of the best real estate news that we have right now. So Mid-August, you know, it, it's been a really, really strange, you know, six months, five months, I guess we've been talking about it. And you guys have seen a lot of different guests that we've had over the last couple months. Over the last couple months, we had a lot of the 30 under 30 people. We've got some great episodes that I recorded last week that are going to be pushing out over the next few weeks. And I would say just keep listening. Right now, our downloads are so high. We're getting record-setting downloads for our podcast. So if you are listening to it and you like our show, be sure to share it with your friends because you're not alone. If you tell people to go listen to the Real Estate Rockstars podcast, they are going to love it. So without further ado, I am going to start sharing my screen and talk to you guys about the real estate news that is happening right now. So this first one is an article that came out in SFGate. So this is the San Francisco Local Chronicle, and it is really, really wild. So it says the 2020 San Francisco exodus is real and a historic report shows. Now, people have been talking about people leaving the cities, right? You guys have heard me on the podcast saying, hey, people are going to leave you know, cities and move to other places. But there are a few cities that really show that story. So the graph I'm looking at shows over the past year. And what it's charting is it's charting real estate inventory changes from February to July of 2020. Now, those are the number of houses that are on the market. And so, what, and so what all of them kind of saw from April to May was there was an increase in uh, inventory. So more houses got put on the market. And then, or so March and April. And then May, inventory started to drop. You know, houses started to sell. That was also a time when people weren't really sure what was going on. In places like Boston, San Francisco, Seattle, and Washington, the inventory went way down in May. A lot fewer houses on the market. We started to see buyer bidding wars. We saw stuff selling like hotcakes. The, and then... In June, they started to creep back up. And so in Los Angeles, all of a sudden there became an increase in inventory. And we had Paul Morris on here a couple of times, his, his company's based out of LA, and he talked about days on market going up. So right now, the inventory is slightly, slightly more homes on the market today than there were back in March. In Boston, there's still fewer homes on the market than there were in March. The, in Seattle, there is a lot less houses. It looks like it's almost 20% less houses on the market right now 
In Washington, in Washington DC, there are 20 less houses on the market. So most of the big cities, there is a lot less. But the crazy chart, if you guys do go look at anything on my Instagram or YouTube, look for this chart. In San Francisco, come May, all of a sudden, everybody started listing their house for sale. And that's what the title says, that San Francisco Exodus is real and a historic report shows. In May, people started listing their houses. This graph completely spikes up. And so by end of July, it says there's twice as many houses on the market in San Francisco than there was pre-COVID. I mean, everywhere in the country is having real estate inventory issues, but not in San Francisco. Everyone is trying to sell their house in San Francisco and they aren't selling fast enough. There's an exodus from that city for a variety of reasons, I'm sure. You know, there's a lot of you know, tech companies there that have now told people they can work from home. Why would you pay a ton of money to, to live in San Francisco to go work at your company if you can you know, live in a less expensive place? I'm sure it wasn't the greatest place to quarantine. It was a very strict area. Plus, they have all sorts of political stuff going on. So the exodus is real. The, you know, they, they made some interesting decisions over the last couple of years there, and it has hit harder in COVID than any other time. So of all the big cities in the country, San Francisco is the only one that has these huge spikes in inventory available. The, every, you know, there's twice as many people trying to sell their house today in San Francisco than there were you know, just six months ago. So that, that is uh, pretty crazy. And so the, that data was released from Zillow. If you check that out, the article is also SF Gate. Rockstar Nation, this is Aaron Muchastegui. Hey, I hate to interrupt the current podcast that you're listening to, but I am so excited to share this with you. I just finished interviewing the original host of this podcast, my good friend, Pat Hyven. Now, I got to talk to Pat about how he started his real estate career and a whole bunch of tips and tactics that he used to be successful. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check out State of the Market number 49. On there, I get to talk to Pat about all those different things. You know, and in there too, he talked a lot about his Six Steps for Seven Figures book and training program that he built over the last couple years. And I realized I haven't done a good enough job of reminding all of you lately about all of the resources that we've built for you out there. So if you want to check out Pat's course, we've got like a three minute summary video when you go to it. It includes so many easy to follow tips that you can follow on it like a day to day basis. You can email reminders, all sorts of different things that come with that course. You find that you go to rebusuniversity.com, R-E-B-U-S, rebusuniversity.com. Look at courses. You can find the six steps for seven figures book. And really there's a whole bunch of other courses in there too. Our normal prices used to be $1,500 or $2,000 a course. These are real deal professional courses. But now uh, during quarantine, a lot of them are priced down like 90 bucks, 95 bucks. So we've slashed the prices to we know right now is the time for everybody to be focusing on growth and education, especially while they're feeling like they don't have as much to do. And if you go in there and you figure like, like there's a lot of different courses you want, Maybe you don't want to buy the a la carte. You can go to futureofrealestatetraining.com and you can get access to all of our different courses for 97 bucks a month. I think there's a discount on there if you go a year or there's even like a lifetime option that you can pay. You get access to every course we've ever put on Rebus University for as long as we have it. So go check out those options, Rebus University or futureofrealestatetraining.com. All right, back to your podcast. Sorry for the interruption. All right, next article. This one just came out yesterday. And so it came out on Politico, or uh, yeah, it did come out yesterday. And it says, HUD to extend foreclosure ban protecting 8.1 million people until 2021. Now I have to tell you, I read the article that they said, that's a big of a headline, that's a huge headline, right? That they are going to extend the foreclosure moratorium. So, so I think most of you guys know and have heard as real estate experts, the last few months they've said, hey, no foreclosures. 
So any government-backed Fannie Mae, FHA loan, there's been a foreclosure moratorium. They have not been able to evict or foreclose on those. And so that is set to expire on the last day of August this month. So that's set to, set to expire in 11 days. And, the, and what we've seen, there still have been foreclosures, but they've all been you know, business, you know, hard money type loans, and everything else has been slowed down to almost nothing. And so the, you look at this article, it says HUD to extend the foreclosure ban. And they say in here, it says they had a Department of Housing and Urban Development will extend a ban on evictions and foreclosures for homes backed by FHA. Administration officials told Politico. Now, I want you to take that with a grain of salt because I haven't found any other news sources to confirm that. I've tried to find four or five others. So Politico is saying they're the only ones that know it, that the administration officials told them. But then they use a quote that I did here. It said the Trump administration is looking at using local authorities to extend relief through the calendar year. But it also, that doesn't really say what that relief is. It includes funds as well as war trends on foreclosures and evictions. So I'm not sure if it really is going to extend the ban on all FHA or not. But that is what Politico is setting. Now, I, I did a little bit of a statistics research for everybody, though, uh, for that. So we manage a lot of foreclosures in Texas, right? We track all the foreclosures in Texas. And I think what happens in Texas looks a lot like what happens in the rest of the country. So right now in, in Texas, there's probably 15 to 20,000 foreclosures that are in a shadow inventory. Those are foreclosures that would have sold during a normal market that right now have not sold because of those moratoriums. Now in Texas, every month, 40% of the postings are FHA. So if a thousand houses are scheduled for foreclosure, 400 of them are FHA. Now what's funny though is on the sold side, the percentage goes down a little bit. Of the houses that sell, only 30% are FHA. So what does that tell you? So it says, if there truly will be a ban on foreclosures, on FHA foreclosures, if they truly do extend the moratorium, then that still means that 60% of the normal postings will get posted and 70% of the normal postings will actually start going to sale again, which is a big change from what we saw. And when you have six months of inventory built up, 60 to 70% of that number is still much higher than we've seen in a one month period in years since 2012. So again, that was an article that came out. Keep on the lookout for that. That may be able to get confirmed. It may be something that goes into play. Just trying to give you guys a heads up. If you have FHA clients out there that are in these situations where they are behind trying to sell their house right now, worried. It looks like there is a chance. Politico says it is certain, I haven't seen it anywhere else, that FHA foreclosures will be banned until January 1st. That'll be a little reprieve for 8.1 million people. Now, I have another article that goes right in line with this. So this one came out two days ago. This was Prashant Gopal at Bloomberg.com. And that highlight says, FHA mortgage delinquencies reach a record. So reach a record. It says the share of late FHA loans rose to almost 16% in the second quarter, up from 9.7% in the first quarter, and the highest level ever recorded, and they started these records back in 1979. So what does that really tell you? FHA mortgage delinquencies reach a record level, led by New Jersey. So if you have 16% of FHA loans are in default and it's the highest ever, that means there are more people that aren't paying their FHA loans than stopped paying in 2007, 2008, 2009, absolute housing crash, foreclosures everywhere. There are more people today that haven't paid their mortgage. So that is something to keep an eye on. We've mostly had great, great real estate news the last six months, but now we're starting to see a few little adjustments that I want you guys to pay attention to 
again, especially if you're in a market where there's a lot of FHA priced homes or if you have FHA price, price clients. If, you're, if you focus on new home buyers, then you need to be paying attention to this. I also believe that if they shut down FHA foreclosures, it is going to be tougher for lenders to lend on FHA loans. And so I also see more stringent things coming in, you know, requiring you know, overlays with higher uh, credit scores and things like that. So a common question I got when I posted this online was, well, what about the people in forbearance? So yes, this does include the people in forbearance, but there was also forbearance in 2009 and 2010. There were lots of different workouts going on back then that allowed people to not pay their loan and work it out for a modification. So we were still the highest level ever. The other thing about forbearance is so you have to remember that that means there's a lot of people that are just not paying their mortgage. Now they may get a workout and in a month the, the banks may say, okay, we're going to work it out now and you don't have to pay the last six months. You don't have to pay us the $10,000 you owe us. We're going to tack it onto the back of the loan. That would be really, really nice. But the, the other thing that people have to remember is if somebody starts getting used to not paying their housing bill, it's really hard to start paying that bill again. It's still their biggest bill. So people live every month and spend every month as if they, you know, without the housing bill, it's like they have extra money, right? So the, when all of a sudden they start living on, I mean, you guys all know that it's so hard to live below our means. Everyone, so many people live to whatever they make. They spend whatever they make. And so if they're not paying a mortgage, they spend whatever they make. If all of a sudden they have to start paying that mortgage again, that's a tougher adjustment. If you have FHA buyers right now or FHA sellers, try to tell them to be careful with their finances. The especially sellers, if they're in these forbearance periods, tell them to hang on to their money and spend as if they are paying their mortgage, even if they're, they're trying not to. So that is a big one on there. Now, along the same, let me see, there was a, a mortgage article. Or, or, so some of those statistics. So I want to jump over now to there's MBA.org 2020 press release. This came out August 17th. So the, this is where Prashant got some of the data for his article. So it says mortgage delinquencies spike in the second quarter of 2020. And so it talked about the delinquency rate, rate increased 386 basis points and 369 from a year, year over year. One of the interesting things I saw in this article, it's a fourth paragraph down. It says there was also a movement of loans to the later stages of delinquency with the 60 day delinquency rate reaching a new survey high and the 90 plus day delinquency rate climbing to its highest level since the third quarter of 2010. All right, any of you people out there that are in real estate know that the second quarter, third quarter of 2010 was crazy. We had a lot of foreclosures on the market. It was very difficult to buy a house and the housing prices were falling every month. That was a crazy, crazy time. And so, the, so this is saying the people that are 90 days late, so people that haven't made more than three payments, so 90 days behind. Now in states like California, it takes 90 days behind to actually get foreclosed on. In Texas, you have to be behind three weeks. But in, in California, you have to be behind three months for, the, for those foreclosure uh, proceedings to start. So again, the number of people that haven't paid their mortgage for 90 days is climbing to its highest level since the third quarter of 2010. So the, that is a, that's a lot, you know, 90 day delinquencies, third quarter of 2010, it was only worse those, you know, that, those months and years just prior to that. So keep an eye on foreclosures. So the, especially FHA based foreclosures, and then some of those 90 day states where they had their people that are 90 days behind, 
does not, they do not catch up very often. They can sell their house. Most of those houses, most of those people do have equity. They need to sell their homes and capitalize that equity. As agents, you can find those people with equity that are in default and help them sell their house. That creates a win-win. The, is it all bad news? It's not all bad news. So there's another article that came out just a few weeks ago and it says U.S. home ownership rate soars to highest level since 2008. Same author, Prashant Gopal, U.S. home ownership rate led by young buyers up to the highest rate since 2008, signaling that the housing boom underway before the pandemic has only accelerated. So there's some good news out there too, right? So home ownership boom. So that's saying the number of people that actually own their home is the highest it's been. So the rate was 67.9 in the second quarter. It was a fourth straight increase, climbed to 65.3 in the prior month. So let me see what that 67.9 is. So 67.9, the quarterly home ownership rate. So the, I don't know if that's, if, if that's going to be people that can buy their house, but it's showing this historical chart here. And in 2019, it was at 64. In 2016, it was at 63. It hasn't been at this level, the 67.9 level, since 2008. Again, 2008, the back um, coming right off of the peak. The highest level was around 69% at the peak of the, cal- of the U.S. real estate market in 2005. So some good news out there too. US, there are more people today own their homes than have over the past four or five years uh, as we get to look at that. Hey, Real Estate Rockstars listeners, I am sorry to interrupt again, but I want to do a quick commercial break, but this commercial break is different. This is stuff that I think you need, and this is me talking to you about some of the stuff that we had. So, you know, recently we had a lot of people reach out to us and say, hey, why don't you do a real estate mastermind? Why don't you do something where a lot of the listeners can get together and do some Zoom calls and ask each other questions and really just try to brainstorm and work together? I mean, there's a million masterminds out there. I don't know if this is something that we really want to do or not, or if we do, if we're going to limit it to maybe 20 or 30 people. We're just trying to figure out if any of you guys are interested. So if you have any interest at all in joining a mastermind with real estate agents around the country that are part of the Real Estate Rockstars Network, go to hybendigital.com forward slash mastermind and just join the wait list. It's just a really a formal, it's just an interest list for us to see, is this something we want to be doing? So that's, that's number one. Number two, you go to hybendigital.com forward slash foreclosures. We have a two-day thing that we just finished recording. Now it's also inside Rebus University. And so you can go to Rebus University and look at it. If you're already a member of Rebus, I mean, a lot of you guys are in the you know the monthly fee where you get access to everything. So we have a new courses in there, 17 hours of content on how to buy foreclosures, on how to find deals, on how to you know do title, you know go to auction. Also turn that into clients for your real estate agents, how you can turn somebody that's in default behind on their mortgages into a client. So go you know, check out that course, especially for, you know, you can, you can buy the course now, but again, most of you guys already subscribed to all that. I just wanted you to know there's another 17 hours of content. Great, great content that I just recorded on there uh, that all of you guys have access to now at Rebus University. And then finally, we have software that we talk about on and off. It's called PadHawk. And in PadHawk, you can use that to go find leads. What, uh, you know, so everyone is really, really busy right now. And we're so, so busy. People are selling and they're saying there isn't enough product on the market, right? So they're, they're, they can't find houses. Well, Paddock will help you find houses before they're listed. It helps you find owners that should be listing their properties or people that might want to get there. I recorded a quick video. It's like six or seven minutes long for you guys to look at, real estate agent specific on what how you can use the software in order to do it. So let's go to hybendigital.com forward slash leads. Again, there's a video in there. I talk about how you can use the software to do it. Check it out. If it's something that you like, you may want to sign up for it. 
99 bucks a month that's nationwide any city out there and it is a great way to find houses so right now people are saying there's lots of buyers but we can't find enough houses well maybe you can use this software you'll find something that hasn't listed yet and make them an offer on their house all right back to your regularly scheduled program thank you for letting me interrupt you with that break All right, the next second, oh, I got to refresh this article. It was asking me to log in. Bloomberg, it says, Catskills Town leads U.S. in rising home prices with the New York City exodus. So what do we think about that? We just talked about the exodus from San Francisco, right? So we're not, su not super surprised that there was an exodus in San Francisco, or maybe we were, but those statistics were wild. It's saying something is similar happening in New York City. A lot of people are leaving New York City. And it says the typical, the people that are getting it is like this, a small Catskills town near New York. It says the picturesque Hudson Valley town north of New York City has the fastest rising home prices in the U.S. I know a lot of our listeners live in that area. I know a couple of people that I recently interviewed on the podcast live in that area just north of New York. There's a typical home in Kingston, New York, and now on the receiving end of the exodus from the densely packed city. A normal house sold for 276000 in the second quarter, an 18% jump year over year. And I would say if we're probably looking at the third, four, third and fourth quarter statistics, it's going to go up even higher. So the, the, what the agent inter interviewed here says, every single deal I have is someone from Brooklyn or Manhattan. You know, said Amy Crossfield, a Kingston agent for, and a former Brooklynite. You have bidding wars, cash offers, and people rushing to put an offer the day something comes on the market. So agents out there. Like we've been talking about this for a while. You guys are probably already taking advantage of this. But, the, but I think there is going to continue to be a boom in these small areas just outside the urban core. So if you can find those areas, if you can find leads, your prospective buyers are going to be the people that are moving from the city. So if you're going to find a place just outside of Austin, if you want to start marketing those houses that are $150,000 that are 30-minute drive from Austin, you want to market to the people that live in Austin. I saw an ad in the real estate market here in Austin that talked about having so much space to be able to live in a safe, like COVID world, right? It's like, hey, there's 50 acres close to Austin, so you can still get, you know, to resources, get to the airport, but you can live in the middle of nowhere without having any neighbors and feel very, very safe. And I'm telling you, that's what these people are marketing, and that's what's happening. But if you find affordable cities, they're getting, a, they're getting two for one. I think, I think we would see the same thing with so many of those people that are leaving San Francisco. They're going to move from cities that are really, really expensive and move to outskirts where they have a little bit more space, where it might be a little bit easier to quarantine, might be a little less risk of future viruses, and they're going to save a heck of a lot of money. All right. The, just a couple articles left as we fly through today's issue, uh, today's episode of State of the Market. So, all right, this is something we've been talking about for six months. This is non-COVID, non-quarantine related, just some really fun real estate news. It says, NAR and MLSs strike back against antitrust suit over the pocket listing policy. So there's a, there's a company called Pocket Listing Service, PLS.com, you know, out of, the, out of California. And that's, and that's run, or one of the guys that's part of that is one of the guys from Million Dollar Listing that we've actually interviewed on our site before, you know, on our, on our Real Estate Rockstars podcast. So, you know, back, I, don't, I guess I don't know what month it was now. It feels like in February, somewhere around February, the MLSs and the, real, and the, the realtors decided that they were going to make it to where you can no longer have pocket listings. You guys remember that? The, the article came out 
no pocket listings. Uh, if you were going to have a ch- get an offer on a house, you were going to have to put it on the market within like 24 hours. You know, and Pat and I got on here and we talked about that new law on the state of the market podcast as that was coming out. And the, and then we also talked about the pocket listing service was this, you know, this new company that was coming out that that's kind of what they were focusing on high end buyers saying, Hey, you don't have to market through the MLS. We'll take it. We'll market to people. We'll save money on some of those commissions. And so when they said, when the realtor comp- when the realtor organization said you could no longer have pocket listings, PLS.com filed a lawsuit. It says the controversial rule is meant effectively to end the practice of publicizing listings for days or weeks without making them universally available to other agents, in part to address fair housing concerns. The clear cooperation policy implementation was May 1st. And then some MLSs have instituted hefty fines to enforce it. And we also had some stuff on the news about that. Some MLSs is charging $1,000 or $1,500 a day if they find out that someone was marketing a property not on the MLS. I also know I've been getting a lot less wholesale emails. I used to get a lot of wholesale emails from wholesale companies saying, hey, I have this off-market property. And I wonder what they've been doing. And maybe within 24 hours, they're putting it on the MLS instead. So in its amended complaint, PLS.com, so this is pocket listing service. They've sued, the, it says National Association of Realtors. They've sued NAR. They allege NAR controls competition in the real estate brokerage industry through realtor-affiliated MLSs and has used its control over MLSs to exclude new and disruptive market entrants to the benefit only of NAR members. So the pocket listing service is saying, hey, that's not fair. If you're saying we're not allowed to sell it, that's like unfair monopoly. Those are unfair practices that only realtors get to benefit from. And so the complaint further continues to allege NAR saw the PLS.com, which the complaint says operated the largest network of licensed real estate professionals with market listings. And, and they're saying, hey, they saw us as a competitive threat. So the, so the claim is that the National Association of Realtors actually made that law to stop them from competing, right? And so that is... That is a monopoly type, you know, soup that they're alleging there. So they're, they're saying, hey, they're trying to monopolize against us. They thought we were competition, so they made a, a law against it, knowing that they would be making that law against a bunch of agents. And then the NAR and, and, and multiple listing services, they filed motions against that, saying that they aren't the ones being unfair. It is far more likely that the policy benefits buyers and sellers by increasing access to information, thus increasing market stimulation. I don't know what's going to happen there. The I think it's a I think it's been a really interesting thing to follow over the last you know six months. You know it's and it's refreshing to actually have some news that isn't COVID quarantine craziness related. And so let me know what you think about that one. I mean, our listeners are agents. Our listeners are licensed agents. Do you think the flat rate the the pocket listing rule? Do you think it's fair? Do you think you should not be allowed to market something? off the market, do you think you have to put it on MLS? Is that fun? Or is that fair the way they're doing it? All right, a couple last articles. Luxury market shows signs of recovery as home prices rise. A new Redfin report, this is from Inman, says the median price of a luxury home in the US is 825,000, and that's up a little bit year over year. So a median luxury home costs 825,000. That's a slight increase from the same time period last year. Now. You know, they go through and they have a chart kind of showing that it dipped way down and now it came back up. But it's also, it shows that between, you know, August of last year and January of 2020, you know, prices had gone way up. So then it shows that the prices dropped significantly during quarantine COVID these, these last five, six months, but then over the last month have dropped back up. So it's saying it's increased year over year. 
it's kind of just gotten back to where it was a year ago, but it still is not where it was in January. So I would say pay attention to the data and fact check everything because they're saying it's showing signs of recovery that might make you think that it has recovered, especially when they say, hey, the price is up year over year, but the price is still way down compared to where it was in January. All right, last article. I think this one is pretty interesting. This is a mortgage article on Inman.com. It says, Feds propose new mortgage category. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau believes seasoned QM mortgages will spur innovation, but not everyone is convinced they're a good idea. The federal government announced this week that it wants to create a new mortgage category that will spur innovation. Through critics argued, though critics argued the proposal could contribute to predatory lending. You could see a creation of a seasoned qualified mortgages or seasoned QM. A qualified mortgage generally is a loan that is considered stable and on which the lender worked to ensure that the borrower could make payments. This is, these are the gold standard for housing loans. Under the new proposal, such loans could become seasoned QM after three years called a seasoning period on a lender's balance sheet. However, to qualify, loans would also have fixed interest rates and they would have to be first lien, or in other words, a primary loan. So I think what that's saying is if someone has been paying their mortgage on time for three years, now they're not just a qualified borrower, but now they've also paid their mortgage on time and never, it says no more than two 30-day delinquencies and no delinquencies of 60 or more days. Now that's kind of, that's kind of lenient. That's more lenient than I was expecting actually. It's saying, hey, you, 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 could, you could only be 30 days late twice and still be considered seasoned. I would have said to be seasoned like that, there's no late payments. They're saying, all right, no more than two 30-day delinquencies. You can be considered a seasoned qualified mortgage. And so that would be somebody that has proved over the last three years that they have the ability to pay on the loan. And as a result, they could qualify for you know, different lending, different resale on the, on the, throughout the loan network out there. And the, it says, QM status of a disaster or pandemic such as the current coronavirus outbreak led to a borrower getting a temporary payment accommodation, an apparent reference to the mortgage forbearance program that had become widespread this, this spring and summer. Lenders would need to verify their borrower debt to income ratio. However, loans would not be disqualified from seasoned QM. So it's saying, hey, to be a seasoned QM, you have to make your payments for three years. But if something happened like this, you know, like COVID, and then you weren't able to make your payment, they wouldn't count that against you. So I don't know what we'll see, what will happen solely by the virtue of saying current. It says the proposal would ultimately confer qualified status on non-qualified loans. So these could be people that got loans that weren't necessarily conforming at the beginning. They made their three years of payments solely by, it says it's funny that they can make them now qualified solely by the virtual virtue of staying current-ish for three years by having no more than the two, 30 days. So funny thing to see there. It's been a while since they added a new category on the federal mortgage. So that is today's State of the Market episode. It's me, Aaron Amuchasegui. I hope you guys got some value out of that as you listen. I hope you've had a fun month listening to all of our podcast episodes. If we are adding value out here, please share the podcast. Tell your friends about it. We want to give you actionable news that's out there. And there was some really fun, interesting stuff today. I mean, a lot of stuff we've been hearing about, but some evidence and statistics behind the exodus from people leaving San Francisco and leaving New York. I hope you guys listened to that a little bit and thought, hey, I should target on people leaving those areas and buying in this other market just outside. They're, all the big cities around the U.S. have smaller towns outside that people are leaving to. We talked a lot about foreclosures and defaults and moratoriums and you know, the Fannie Mae loans, like how many, FH, or how many FHA loans. There's more in default than we've ever had before. Uh, they also may postpone foreclosures 
for the FHA loans until January. But again, Politico is the only one that has that article. I want you to keep looking at the news and I will keep looking at the news for you and tell you more about it next week if I'm able to fact check that and confirm it. So hopefully you guys are having an awesome week as you go into your weekend. August is almost over. People's kids are going back to school. Some are going back to school. Some are wearing masks. Some are working from home. But our summer season is about to change. I think it's going to be a really interesting time the next month or two in real estate because we're about to have an election. People are going back to school. And most of the time, this is when selling and buying season slows down. People want to buy a house before the school year starts. I think the rules are a little different this time because people are buying a house before a school year starts. But if the school year is starting remotely and if the school year is starting working from home, maybe we don't have the same deadlines we had before. If you have any comments about that, comment below on, on the video, on the podcast, send me a message, find me at Aaron Muchastegui on Instagram or at RE Rockstars on Instagram. Uh, we're also on Facebook and just about everywhere else. Find all of our podcasts at hybendigital.com. And don't forget right now, we are still doing crazy, crazy discounts on our Rebus University training classes. If you are a new agent or an agent looking to get an edge, we have a variety of classes on there that will help you succeed and thrive during this time. All right. Thanks for listening to Stay of the Market. We'll talk to you next week. Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful, if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful, please, I need you to pull out your pointing finger, yes, the one finger that points at people, and hit subscribe. Yes, subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran, all the players that are on the million dollar listing in the different cities. All that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get. So please subscribe. And listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show. And we love your feedback. So thanks, guys, and I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also, listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a, a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day, and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.